If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. I am the lead singer in UK thrash band Acid Rain, and I also deliver the bi-weekly podcast, Talking Bollocks. My name is highlighted in the description of this podcast. Click on it and it'll take you to the hundreds of interviews that I've done with the great and the good of rock and roll and heavy metal. But here, I am your guide through the world of all things Motorhead. In this amazing virtual museum that we are still working on, this is where we come to get all of the stories that complete the legacy of Motorhead and, as well as the music, keep that great institution alive. And you can help. All you need to do is subscribe to this podcast, and if you haven't already done that, get somebody else to subscribe to it. That's all we ask. Have a look around somewhere where you're listening to this. There will be a button that says subscribe. Tap that and you will get every episode in your device as and when they come out. And this episode is with one of the first ever female tour managers, Kim Hawes. You may have already read her book, Lipstick and Leather. And she spent 10 years working with Lemmy and the Boys, has a great story to tell. And instead of me telling you about it, let's get to the interview. Hello, Kim. Welcome to the Motorcast. Hello, Howard. How are you? Uh, I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm going to start this the same way I start every uh, Motorcast interview, and that is... How did Motorhead first enter your life? Motorhead first entered my life when I was tied up in a straitjacket. <laughs> right, okay, that's an answer I haven't had before. <laughs> I, I walked in to my first real job as a tour merchandiser and was waiting in an office on Great Western Road in the reception area where there was this lady who had the shortest skirt on I've ever seen, <laughs> the longest black hair and the darkest eye makeup on, and it was motorcycle Irene, was sat right. on the phones, okay? Yeah. Next to her was this guy with this leather jacket on and long hair. And they said to me, just try this on for us. Now, you're talking about an 18, just turned 19-year-old, who'd only ever been to London twice in their life before on school trips, was not worldly wise. <laughs> yeah. So I put the straight jacket, I put my arms into the straight jacket. Lemmy yeah. and Irene tied me up <laughs> and, and left me <laughs> stood there until Doug Smith, the manager, said, send Kim up now, up to his office and... I couldn't do it. What could I do? Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first encounter of Motorhead. Bloody hell. And 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 that, you know, might have put some people off, but not you. Well, it did. It did because he scared the living daylights out of me. And I was totally into punk and... The this the guy who I worked for in the merchandising company also did many other bands. But the manager of Motorhead was really crafty because, like I said, he was managing other bands and he was also part of the merchandising company. And he always asked every every girl, because 
times were different then, you know, and who's yeah. better to sell merchandising than a blonde and a brunette? You know, yeah. it's like old school. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the brunette and he sat down and he said, so what music are you into? So I told him that I was into punk and all that kind of stuff and that I really didn't like heavy metal. So he was like, perfect. You're going on tour with Motorhead. <laughs> and I was like, no, how did I get that? And it was because he thought, well, if you go on tour with a band you don't like, you're going to work. Yeah, you know, you're not going to be you're not going to be standing yeah. there idolizing them, which is exactly what I what I did. You know, I I just they did nothing for me. Let's put it that way. right. You know, okay. So, so that that was yeah. the whole thing. I I just yeah I I was there to work, and so that's how uh, yeah my first my first tour was with Overkill. And obviously, when you're the youngest on a team, what do you get to do? You get a pile of posters and you go roll those up. <laughs> and I just remember spending hours oh, in venues no. just rolling posters and the paper cuts and the elastic bands. And yeah, it was one of those. It, but, but like I said, it was great. It was amazing. And, and was, it, was it a long tour? How long were you away for? Do you know what? I can't remember because as far <laughs> as I, I'm concerned, after that came the Ace of Spades and then it went on and I worked for Motorhead for 10 years of my life. Wow. But doing, yeah, doing various jobs. I tour managed them for one night and it was one night only. Oh, really? Yes. Now, but because I did that, you see like, I always say that I owe Lemmy everything because if it wasn't for them, I got, I mean, it, it was because I'd worked for them for 10 years and survived that America, when I got headhunted from America, went, if she can do that and she's still with us, <laughs> she can yeah. do anything. So I, my career started, like I said, touring, doing merchandise for them. Yeah. And that was at 19 years of age. So I did all the early years, you know, all the no sleeps, the orgasmatrons, yeah. the rock wow. and roll, the whole thing. Yeah. And then I, yeah, was stuck. We were in Europe doing the no no sleep at all tour, and the tour manager had a bag full of receipts because again, in those days, everything was cash. Now again, it was before we'd even gone into Europe, let alone got in, come out again. You know, we yeah. we hadn't got there yet. So he just said. I've got all these receipts and they say kroner on them, but I'm not sure if they're Swedish, if they're Finnish, if they're whatever oh, they are. I know what's coming. So he <laughs> like sort them out for me. You, yeah. you, you've done the money, sort them out for me. So that's when I went into doing tour accounts. That and that is that's how it that's how it works in the music business, isn't it? It's like somebody gave me a bag of receipts once and now I do tour accounts. <laughs> yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it it is i always say to people when people say to me how do you get in it it's like you just have to be in the right place at the right time you fall in that's how yeah so then like i say to tour management we're in paris one one day well it was actually the day before christmas eve we had we just had two days off in paris which was amazing 
and the band suddenly had decided that they needed to do some Christmas shopping before they went home. Right, okay. It was a it was a Saturday morning and each of the band members wanted something I think like two and a half two thousand pounds each. Now being the I had that this cash on me. Yeah. So but they wanted it in French francs and they also wanted it in sterling. I had it in every other currency but those. So I had to go out and find banks all over Paris that would try, like bureau de charges anything that yeah. would change this money up into these two currencies. So I got landed with that and I went to find the tour manager to get some help. And it was like, there was no answer from his room. So we, we were concerned, got the keys for his door, opened the door to find out he'd done a bunk. <laughs> he'd had enough oh, God. and he'd gone home <laughs> and he'd left me, and there was no, there was no tour manager there. Oh, so, no. To be honest, everybody knew exactly what they were doing. There was no no thing like I had to see that this was done and that was done. It was just all down to the money and stuff that night. Yeah. And clearing up the tour, basically. So that's what I did because nobody was going to come out at that short a time, especially just before Christmas Eve as well. So um, that wow. that was it. That was purely it. And again, that is that's that is how that's how a, a career in tour managing begins, isn't it? Someone else does a bunk. <laughs> it is, it is. I, I mean, I've said to loads of people, I've had lighting engineers that have disappeared or something's happened to them, and we've just employed a guy at a venue because they were good at what they were doing. Yeah. I've had front of house do the same. I've even had a drummer step in. We, well, funnily enough, I, funnily enough, what this brings to mind is a is a recent fan episode I had on who's um, a, a guy who cold called Lemmy once and ended up, you know, being mates. And anyway, and he ended up drum teching for Motehead one night because the the drum tech disappeared, and um, uh, yeah. he he reappeared for the following gig, but he just disappeared <laughs> one night. So it ended up with like a, a fan crewing for Mickey D. Wow! Wow! That's fantastic see i i was i was with mosehead before um when filthy was still with us so yeah. um yeah and the drum tech then his name was goom and we we basically everybody on the motorhead crew we were family you know yeah. it, it was just an yeah, amazing bunch of people all together yeah yeah yeah, well, I know, and and everybody always said as well. Well, you know, we are the road crew. You know, Lemmy was already incredible, always incredibly respectful of of everybody, and of, you know, because everybody has a trade craft that puts you on stage and makes you look and sound good. Yes, yeah, you absolutely. Know. And I, I only, I used to plead with him because I wanted to go on stage for road crew always. I was like, why won't you let me up there? You know, like, why why can't I do this? And it was like, Kim, you can't. You can't. And and I was always so disappointed. But there was one night when we came to the end of the tour and he went, okay, now you can do it tonight because everybody's coming on. But, right. of course, it, it just was against the whole principle of we are a road crew and there's a a girl gets up on it just it just wasn't right i i couldn't have done the growl loud enough yeah yeah the the, the two worlds yeah don't cross the streams etc which is which is kind that's why the whole book is called lipstick and leather because right. it was my lipstick yet 
and and you'd look at me and you'd think I, I would there's no way that she would be with these people yeah you know because they had all the leather jackets on and even though I was given things like a leather tour jacket I, I never wore it I was given a bullet belt but I, <laughs> I just looked like it it just didn't look like me yeah. you know so I, I, but I did use it one night on a Mosehead gig to <laughs> frighten um, punters away Yeah, in, in Spain. Um, what had happened was we were in this huge venue and the security guards all disappeared. The security guys from the venue just, just left. It's the first time that any rock bands had played in that area in Spain because, as you know, Mosehead were renowned for going to places that nobody else would go. Yeah, You know, we were the first in... Spain, we were the first in um, Finland. We were the first. We were the first in lots of lots of places, and so every all these young guys suddenly were looking at this female selling T-shirts miles away from anywhere, with no security and just boxes of swag, and you could see they all surrounded the front of the merchandising. Um, so I just got it out and I slammed it on the table <laughs> and it scared them all to death and they all ran away. <laughs> Brilliant. So I do remember that one. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, I, yeah, that's a unique use of a motorhead bullet belt. And, and it was just perfect because, like I said, they all ran away. Yeah, absolutely. And how I, I'm, I'm interested to find out how you... That you know, you started as it's like you know, Motorhead the company. You started out, um, you know, on the t-shirt stall, and you and it, it it looks like you know you've you've climbed the ladder over the next ten years. It, it was the whole point that Motorhead had such a reputation, you know. I mean, what's that movie called? Um, Spinal Tap, the movie. And yeah. basically, when it first came out, we watched it, and it was like, this is so boring compared to us. <laughs> you know you used to wake up in the morning on a motorhead gig and you think what on earth can happen today before i can go back to bed because you knew something was going to happen yeah you know but it was never so whatever happened whatever happened the show went on we did a show in a tent in austria and it, it snowed prior to the to the venue before they put the tent up and it was in this car park but instead of clearing the snow out of the before they put the tent up they just put the tent over the snow so we get there to load in and all the guys do all their bit but the inside the tent's full of snow yeah you know oh so they we cleared the snow out before the trucks were emptied and I remember this even starting doing the trucks about three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, but the door still opened at seven. Do you think you become addicted to this kind of chaos? Because it's like it's like like you say, you know, you wake up on the morning every day, and when that when that isn't there, there's something missing. Totally, you hit the nail on the head. Because I am now in my later life, I'm I'm looking like I want to help more musicians. I want to help more road crew etc from coming down off tours because we are i am renowned for leaving everything to the last minute the reason being is because i can sort it out yeah it's not a challenge is it 
no it's boring it's so well it's not even boring it's just it's just not real until it's i need this and i need it now but then there's a downside to that as well because little things like your boiler breaks down like everybody's boiler goes sometime or other and the plumber can't come till a week on thursday and you've no heating and it's like but i want it now why can't you come now you know so there's a there is a downside to that yeah, no, no, I absolutely get it. I mean, coming home off tour is like you know you describe it as the as the tour blues and how it it takes time to decompress and and the thing is as well is that all the things that you're looking forward to getting home to when you come off tour, that joy is short lived, and then it's kind of like yeah, but now I'm bored. Yeah, you it's it's like your first night home and you've watched Coronation Street, which you don't understand anymore because it's moved on so much. <laughs> so you've got that out of the way. You've eaten your beans on toast. You know, so suddenly you've got your baked beans and a slice of like Warburton's thick bread and you've had that. So that's passed. And then you wake up the next morning and there is no room service for you to order. <laughs> There's nobody else making your breakfast there's nobody to tell you when to get up there's yeah there's nothing to get up for yeah yeah, yeah there's but and that's that, that's the other thing as well is like there's nothing to go but there's no there's no pressure there's no conclusion to the day there's no event there's just yeah, yeah like you said nothing to get out of bed for it's a dangerous world it is a dangerous world because and i think i think that's why there's a lot of um anxiety and stuff around now with with people that have toured because of the fact that it's it's lonely too you know you've Mm -hmm. got all these people around you and then suddenly there's nobody because the friends too that you've had at home have got fed up of waiting for you to come back and their lives have moved on when you do get back you know they're 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 coronation street for real you know you've got no no idea what's going on with their lives either never mind the soap opera exactly exactly and and so it, it's it's that's that's my thing now yeah well uh, helping people um is that how and how's that is that like counseling or well in that in 2019 i was given an honorary fellows from university of central lancashire for being a pioneer of women in the mm-hmm. music industry which was amazing to ha- to be given that and um so i had connection with a university and again, like all my life, I just fell into it because suddenly I was asked to do a, go on a panel um, for Louder Than Words for John Robb doing um, interviewing guys on mental health. And I held my hand up and I said, I, I don't know enough about this. You know, I, d- I don't know. And it's like, it's okay, it'll be fine. So I thought, why don't I know enough about this? And then I also got to thinking that we have become in my opinion this obviously my my opinion but we've got so used to telling all these youngsters out there that they can be anything they want to be and so they go to university they spend and I've had them knocking on my door they've spent all this money their parents have spent all this money because Jack is a new Ed Sheeran you know he's really good well I think my daughter's amazing too, but they're not, you know, they're not, they're not, maybe not that good. And I want to say to people, which is the thing that I push more than anything is, look, I wanted to be famous when I was 15, 16. We've stood there with the hairbrush in front of the mirror. We've done all of that. 
I spent 40 years in the music industry, longer than probably most artists now spend. So even though you, you're not at the front of the stage, you can still do something in the music industry that is just as important and hang, have longevity through it. And fulfilling and, yeah. So like I said, I, I went back to university last year. That's amazing, kind of where your life is heading there. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't want to come across as Mr. Professional because I'm not. I have read the first page of your book. Uh, I can tell you, listeners, it's a page turner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been trying to get to it to put some time so I can actually like you know, spend a good amount of time on it. There's kind of two things that um, struck me just from the first page. Well, before you even get to the first page, there's a line that says, Lemmy, if you can see this, you were right. It's in my blood. That really struck me before I'd even got to the first yeah. page. I kind of, I, I, I know what you mean by that. And I know what he meant by that because of yeah. the, everything that you've just described. It's like, you know, it was meant to be. Yeah. I, I, right from the very start, it was, I, I was asked by the person that actually took me on tour right in the beginning, who was a tour manager. And he asked me, did I enjoy being a merchandiser? Was I having a good time? And I was like, yeah, I love doing this, but I'd l I want your job. Really? And he stood there and he started <laughs> he started laughing at me. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, girls don't do my job. We are we are talking like 1979. And he just said, they, they don't do it. I was like, why don't they do it? And he's like, because it's too dangerous, it's too hard, and you can't. So you just can't do it. Yeah. And he gave me all these books on other careers in the music industry. It's like, what? read this. <laughs> yeah, he was like, go oh, take those away. Oh, bless. I bet he thought he was being really helpful. Exactly. And then sort of touring with Motorhead and stuff, and, and Lemmy and I had some amazing conversations and, and stuff on tour bosses together mm -hmm. and he yeah he would say things like you know we, we talked about relationships we talked about we talked about everything because he was so well educated yeah which is one thing that people don't it doesn't the isn't the first thing that strings to mind we also had a lot in common um my stepfather was a vicar his stepfather was vicar um our moms you know were on their being on their own, et cetera, you know, all yeah. that kind of thing. So there was all of that. And he used to ask my opinion about the female side of things because he knew I also, when groupies used to turn up, I was used to get so, I can't say jealous in a way because I was a young, tw like young 20 year old. I was getting all this attention and then suddenly this, Six foot blonde had walked past, hair down to like right down her back, flowing in the wind and amazing figure. Six, like I said, six foot tall, standing there. And then there was little me with my jeans and my t shirt, my trainers on. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> so we'd have conversations about that too. And, um, and he was just like, he, he did. We just, I, I, and he even remember the night we talked about it. It was just like, because I was, he, I can't even, but I can't remember how he got to it. And he's just like, but it's in your blood. I think it was when I was talking about giving up. 
possibly when I came to the act of, of quitting and giving up because the fact that I could just, I wasn't going that much, you know, this was it. And he was just like, but it's in your blood. You know, it's there, it's in your blood, you can't do that. And what was your relationship like with Lemmy? Because it must have changed over those 10 years. It did. Um, it start like I say, it started off as him, just me being frightened of him, you know. <laughs> so there was that part. And then it grew because he... I slept, I mean, I, I actually make a point of it, and I love making this point, is I always say to people, I used to sleep under Lemmy. And their their faces are just like, oh, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I was like, but that's on you. That, that's got nothing to me. And how that came about was, that, uh, again, at an event where we were in a, in a university, and they were interviewing all the people on the panel. And it was so boring for these students, so boring, because they, they started off the first one, oh, I've been in the music industry for this many years, I've done this, this, this. These kids didn't want to know this. So after it taken half an hour just to get through the first few of them, it got to me, and I just said, my name's Kim, and I, I slept for 10 years under Lemmy. <laughs> and I was even asked by the compare to stop. You know, it's like, oh, you can't stop, stop, stop. We can't talk about this any further. And I thought, hold on a second, is this on my head or your head? Because what I'm going to tell you is I it was on a tour bus and my bunk was underneath his. He was in the middle and I was underneath him. And yes, I slept under Lemmy. And in fact, I've slept under many people since then. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So so you can, you've got to, you know, like, yeah, I had to, I had to just put that out there because like I say times have changed so much but, yeah. but it just goes to show that when you when some people look back they can't get their head around that I, I'm not surprised um, but also you know like you said you started out you were frightened of him um, yeah. and then uh, presumably you got to know him you got to have very deep conversations at some point uh -huh. um, at some point you're going to go your separate ways and knowing I, unfortunately I never met Lemmy but having been in the very lucky position of, of speaking to all of all of the people who did know him he was all about loyalty and and yes. he, did he wish you well or we never fell out because there was never the opportunity to I worked for the management company he fell out with so we were never the talk a tour came to an end and that was it. It was the company that you were working for that split with the band. Yes, exactly. So the next tour never happened with me. Unfortunately, which is my bad completely and so sad. We were in Los Angeles um and I was with another, I was with Concrete Blonde and we were just rehearsing before we went out on tour. And next door, Motorhead were rehearsing. And it was our last day and their first day. So I didn't even realise they were next door till we were actually leaving. And Phil Campbell and I have spoken about this because I, I stood outside the door and I didn't go through it. And I hate myself for not oh, doing it. And nice. I said to Phil, I said, but I, I, I would never know how Lemmy would feel about me, you know, coming from... The manage the the other management side, and yeah. he just said, "You should have just come in. You should have just come." And I know I should have done. So, so that was my parting 
thing with Lemmy, but there are two things that I want to tell you about him. Two things that are not the Lemmy that other people would know. And one was one day when I got up and I was really hungry on the tour bus and I went to the back where the kitchen was and he was stood in the kitchen. And he loved his cheeses. Like he used to say, the smellier the cheese, the better. Yeah, totally agree. Right? And he's making cheese and crackers. Yeah. So he's there and he's making cheese and crackers and and I just went, I'm hungry. And he's just like, here you go. So Lemmy is making me a plate full of cheese and crackers, but he stood there with his cowboy boots on, a black T-shirt, and his underpants. So... <laughs> That's a hell of a mental image for everybody out there. <laughs> yes. So, so there's that one. <laughs> exactly. So so there. Were, that's one of them. And then another time was when I had to drop something off at his flat in um, Maida Vale. And I got to his door and I rang the doorbell. And this guy came to the door. He was like, come in. And his gruff voice. So I went in and he, he had his dressing gown on. It was a Union Jack dressing gown. So he's got his Union Jack Jack dressing gown and he put we went into where like the living area of his flat and he's making airfix models of airplanes you know so so <laughs> those are two far yeah, quite that in for lemmy yes exactly you know so yeah so those are my two my two favorite images of him when was the last time you saw him when was the last time you spoke to him it would have been 89. But like you said, you were you were in there for some pretty amazing years. Yeah. I mean, Orgasmatron, that's where I saw Motorhead on tour for the first time, but I saw them at Donington as well that year, which was insane. Um, uh-huh. And of course, the, the, those years you were working uh, behind the scenes, it wasn't like it is now. I mean, it was rough and ready. I mean, Donington Rock Festival, which everyone thinks of now as this legendary thing. I mean, it was held together with string. I mean, it must have been a nightmare to work behind, work on, you know, working on stuff like that. Again, you didn't realise, but it totally different from front stage to backstage, for one, and and just because you had a motorhead backstage pass around your neck meant you could do anything it did have that effect on you you know you felt that you were the beast you know nobody could touch you you could do anything you wanted to because you had that round your neck you know it gave, it gave you like a 007 license to to have a good time <laughs> but that's another thing you miss when you come off tour as well it's like there's no it's like even I I've noticed like just going into places like even a restaurant is stupid, but going into a restaurant for some reason in your head you think you're allowed in the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. no. No. Yeah, it's not catering. Uh-huh. This is this is a restaurant, you know. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it is. I. You just. Sorry. You actually just brought it to mind. No, no, no. Something, another story that I'd like to tell you that is the difference between like me being on tour. It was quite funny. Is two things where we've had like women and 
and the crew against like not against each other but one was um in hamburg and uh all the guys obviously were going to go down the reaper barn and check it yeah. out and just have a look and i was like <laughs> well, what am i going to do and lemmy was go like go down i was like i can't go down women are not allowed down there yeah and he was like okay i dare you I dare you to go down there. So oh, wow. what was it? It's like, uh-huh. So I put a baseball cap on, stopped my hair up in this baseball cap, put it right down low, had this pair of jeans on trainers like always, so that was okay. Then put on this huge jacket with the collar up round the back of my head so nobody could see me at all, and I went down it. And let me say, if you do it, you come out the other end, there's a bottle of vodka for you. So <laughs> And I did it, and I didn't, but I didn't get clocked till about halfway down. And suddenly, this woman starts shouting at me. And I had been warned that they, like the madams at that time, would throw buckets of water over you if you were caught. Yeah. Yeah, and it could get quite nasty. The problem was, of course, all the guys had got waylaid with other things down that road. (laughs) I'd made my way out and realised I was on my own in the middle of nowhere and didn't know how the hell to go back to the tour bus. Oh, so no. that was actually scary than than the fact of going down there. But I did that. So that's, Did you get that's your vodka? Another... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I got my bottle of vodka. So oh, so that was quite, uh, quite fun. But another story, too, is in Vienna, where we'd gone out for somebody's birthday, and it was a Sunday night. Motorhead always had Sundays off because, obviously great day to have off during the week because everybody's getting ready for work the next day anyway. So audience wise, it was always a good way to do it. And we decided to go out to a bar and a bar had been recommended by someone at the hotel. What we hadn't, so we walked in and we all sat down and suddenly it was like, we were all being looked at. You know, and we just laughed it off as being, well, they know who we are, et cetera, you know, whatever. And then this guy walked about up and I and I thought they're going to say something like, you can't come in here with like dirty jeans on or some, you know, like yeah. something about the guys being in there. And he just said, you're going to have to leave. I'm <laughs> like, me? Why, why am I? Why do I yeah. have to? We'd only realized that we'd been sat in a brothel for the last half an hour. Oh, and no. they realized that they had a woman with them and we had to all go but saying that i didn't go on my own everybody came with me oh that's awesome yeah yeah but but again that's that but that's that tour family isn't it yeah you know yeah. that's all for yeah. one one for all exactly exactly there's um times when for instance we're talking about backstage being rough yeah. the roughest gig i've ever done with most head was actually in a uh on a farm in a cow shed oh my god we we i remember the tour bus not, not a fire up. hazard at all of course no it really was a wooden shed <laughs> and, it, and inside there was still cow pats steaming Brilliant. Where the cows, where you know, the audience bit was full of that. I mean, I'd have, I'd have preferred snow. <laughs> the t-shirts were actually sold from the 
eating troughs with the animals. You know, it was just absolutely bizarre. But the the actual um the night of the gig, the barn was sold out completely. People came for miles, and the noise just was like just went for for miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just went. I mean, it's like you may as well not have a building if you put Motorhead in a barn. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, what country was this? That was in Holland. I, I yeah. I, I, funnily enough, I couldn't see that happening in the UK. Um, no. But Holland, <laughs> that's yeah, that's mad. Yeah. That is mad. I've done a few shows like that where you think, you know, every, there's like nothing around, and everyone says, "Oh, you know, wh- wherever you are, oh, don't you worry, you know, wait, wait till later, people will be here." <laughs> and there's like, you look out the window at some point, and it's like zombie apocalypse. Where did they all come from? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's um, oh, that's brilliant. A Dutch barn. And a, a motorhead yeah. gig in a Dutch barn. Well, just even going to that uh, is a bit special, but uh, being involved with it, that's that's insane. How did, I mean, how yeah. how did Mohead even get these offers? I mean, and, and, you know, how's the crew feeling when you find out you're all going to go to a barn? Well, we just did it. We just absolutely did it because it was that mentality. You know, the show goes on no matter what. Nothing's off the menu. Yeah, there, there's no such thing as cancelling the gig because I and I don't know of one that Lemmy did when I was with them. Yeah. You know, there, there was never a show cancelled. There was two where they came off stage early, and one was where his um was when we played Ljubljana and somebody threw a two coins with a razor blade stuck between them onto the oh, that's stage. Nice. And it caught his knuckles. Ow. Yeah. And he he walked off on that one. Yeah. So I do remember that as being one. And the second was where, when we were in Reading, I think. And it was caused by the police because the police decided to come and have a, a look around and had a lot of undercover policemen in the gig. And it sort of turned into some sort of a riot. Oh, and no. uh, we left early. So, so those those are the only two times that I've ever seen him when I was with him come off stage early. Yeah, yeah. But besides that, and and I can understand the the thing in Ljubljana was that what none of us had realised again they were the first in there was the fact that these people will you'd look in the audience and there was everybody from the five year old child to the ninety five year old grandma. Because right. nobody had ever seen anything like this or heard of anything, so everybody came to the gig. Yeah. Um, also, the fact that it cost them a month's wages to get in the gig to begin <sighs> with. Yeah. And then when you look at T-shirts, etc., they would look at those and just they couldn't afford anything. So it was yeah. Right. So you you didn't just have Motorhead fans in there; you had the whole city. In there, yeah. So if if they weren't even even into that music, they'd come be just because. This, but the, these were these were frontier times, though. As you said, you know, there's many countries where you're going in for the first time, and and you know, uh-huh. kicking the kicking the doors open for other people to follow you in. Yeah, there was um things like in in southern Italy, you know, like that was completely run by the mafia at that time. Oh, be careful. 
we we turned up to one gig and well I don't, I don't know if it was them it might not have been but we turned up to one gig and the um, promoter got on the tour bus and he said right okay but nobody's getting off this tour bus until I have one box of extra large t-shirts and they were like don't be ridiculous you can't have them we're getting off the tour bus he was like you don't understand we want and they got their extra large t-shirts because it was the only way anybody could get off that tour bus right and then later on um it was uh, selling t-shirts and it was in this like marketplace that was at the front of the venue and these guys walked in and, and it was hot it was in the summer so it was hot but they still had long camel coats on and they had briefcases and they went to every stand and they opened the briefcase, turned it round to the vendor, like the vendor put something in the briefcase, yeah. closed it up and then, and then it got to me and they just went, oh, we've had the shirts and moved it on. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. That is awesome. It is. But there's just so much. There's like, where would you go to somewhere where, I mean, now this would never happen. We we turned up at one place and it was just full of bootleggers outside selling every motorhead thing you could think of, stall no. upon stall. So we called um, the like trading standards up and all these people and they were all like, right, we'll come down, we'll come down. So they came down to the gig. And they looked at all these stalls and then they looked like, so well, we, we want to sell our merchandise. They shouldn't be here. So they went, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So they had a conversation in a corner. And then they came back and said, right, we've come to our decision. They're staying. You can't sell anything. You're not Italian. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so trading standards there decided that all these bootleggers outside could sell stuff. They but, were legit. Yeah. Yeah, we were not. Yeah, Motorhead can't sell Motorhead t-shirts, but um, yes, yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, and and of course, we look. We have your book out, um, uh, or rather, you have your book out, Lipstick and Leather. Um, yes. it, it must have been. It must have been quite an undertaking and quite a, a, an effort combing through your memory of of, of all of this as well. Um, what was it like putting that together? It was eye-opening, I've got to say, because a lot of the things that I'd done, I never thought I'd actually done them, if if that makes sense in a way. It was like, wow, did I really do that? It's Yeah, it's different seeing it written down. Yes, yeah. I, I'm surprised I'm still here. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? It's because of what we got up to. We were so yeah. blatant. It, like I said, that passed around your neck. It, it was like, license to do anything you want. And we did. And the fact that I've not, I'm not in jail, the fact that I'm still walking about, you know, amazes me completely. And having a daughter, it's just like, she just turns around to me. It's like, mom, you know, uh, there's a nothing I could ever do. You know, if I say like, "Where have you been?" It's like this time of the week, what happened? She got yeah. like, "Mom, you don't need to worry about me. I can't compete with what you did, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to worry about me." And she's so sensible, and I think my poor mom, what she would have gone through, 
you know there was just must have been horrendous yeah so I look back on it with it was so much fun I had the best job in the world you know I did I had the best job in the world and I and I loved every second of it and I wouldn't change any of it yeah absolutely look it's an incredible story thank you so much for coming on and you know sharing so much with us I'm sure plenty of listeners are all going to be going uh go out straight out and buy your book and get the full unexpected version but you know for now on behalf of all the listeners thank you so much for coming on thank you howard it's been great thank you so much pleasure and i hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as i did doing it really really enjoyed that i hope you all did as well and i have to say that shameless plug for my own talking bollocks podcast i um i did a um a longer interview with kim um which you can find as previously mentioned if you go to my podcast but that was honestly that was so much fun to do hence ended up doing one for talking bollocks as well what a woman what a fantastic stories amazing attitude and it's no wonder that she's been a success in everything that she does and she now wants to try and help you know other girls other women get into the industry and all power to her it's it's a great story it really is so that is it for this episode it just remains for me to thank you all for listening to remind you to subscribe i'll i will get that out eventually subscribe and please do just keep supporting the the, uh, the podcast. I cannot believe how positive and thankful and grateful and supportive you all are. It means the absolute world. It really, really does. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. And I'll speak to you again on the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I don't show you greed. The only gun I need is the ace of spades. The ace of spades.